You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont, a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. I'm Richard Burtons, a video game enthusiast from Minnesota. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Richard, we need you urgently on this <laughs> show, on this episode, because you have got some major experience with lots of horror games and you've thoroughly played through the Callisto Protocol. Just like all three of us have completed it I, at this point, but not platinumed it, right? Uh, I did platinum the game um, and I didn't cheat at all, which is a lie. It is uh, very easy to cheat the platinum system. Oh, you can cheat the platinum? You really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I was going to wait a little later into the show to cheat and let, and reveal my <laughs> the prestige. Uh, but if you just resume a finished game, <laughs> it takes you to a spot where you don't have to fight anyone, and you can just change the difficulty from there. So uh, I just changed it to like max maximum difficulty and just ran to the end. Ah, I see. <laughs> I did beat it a couple times, that is true, but... Uh, I, I, before uh, you bring me on as an expert or some sort of uh, game whiz, <laughs> yeah, game whiz. I did, uh, I did beat it, but I did beat the game three times, unrelated to that, unrelated to any cheating. And what are your impressions? Impressions is tricky because I have so many thoughts on it. Um, but on, honestly, I thought it was okay. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was a really good attempt at feeling. That that feeling we're all kind of craving in the the third person horror genre, I suppose. Um, but it just was a little, little rough around the edges. That's my my teaser to get people to listen to the whole episode, as I'll as I'll flush it out later. I may be more critical in this episode than I've ever been on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, because I I definitely see where you're coming from, Richard, and I think that there's a lot of good uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. But I this is one of the more frustrating gaming experiences I've had in a long time. Uh, and I recently played through both Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. So there's <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. But I think that my overall impression was uh, I, I kind of grew to resent this game. Okay, that's also a wonderful teaser. Well, my, my impressions would be that I think in itself, it is a solid game. It's not an excellent game. It's a solid game. It's worthwhile to play through the Callisto Protocol. However, it does try to fill some pretty big footsteps and it misses quite a lot along the way. So I think that especially in, in comparison to the inspiration of, of Dead Space, uh, that that's where it primarily falters. But we're going to go into all of our impressions further down this episode. Before we do that, though, I would like to briefly remind you out there that if you like this show, if you get some value out of it, and you want to support us and help us make it happen, then you can do so by joining Studying Pixels Plus. There, you will get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You'll get a lovely sticker and monthly plus episodes. If you're curious about that, head over to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. 
Glenn Schofield, who was the former vice president at Visceral Games, uh, the studio that made the Dead Space series. And he also brought on roughly 25 other former Visceral Games employees. So there's quite a lot of knowledge and manpower and woman power involved in making this game that tied into the origins of Dead Space. If you are curious about that particular studio, Visceral Games, and its history, we actually did a full-on plus episode about it. Uh, that episode is called The Rise and Fall of Visceral Games, and we can link it in the show notes. But that's exactly what I meant by saying that it, it kind of promises to be an off-brand continuation of the legacy of Dead Space, you could say, right? Definitely. I think I got... Uh... I wonder if this tracks with you both. I got ukulele impressions from this game. You mean like the lizard? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Not in the uh, not in the sense that it was anything like ukulele the game, but the idea that there was this prior series, Banjo Kazooie in, in ukulele's case, that was really beloved by people and the people who worked on it really loved working on it. So they broke off and they made their own thing. And it was kind of too scattered success and uh and people have mixed feelings about it i had that revelation maybe halfway through where i thought man this feels so much like dead space i just wish that they had been able to continue that <laughs> instead of going into this because it feels so similar at times and, and i feel like it would have been really easy to just do like a reskin of dead space there's a lot of elements that separate it and with the reskin it, again, it would have been easy to do that, but also like it might have been to their benefit a little bit because they tried a lot of new things, but it it felt like it carried a lot of stuff that made Dead Space feel really dated and brought that over with it. So it didn't feel like an updated version of those games. It felt like it, it felt like trying to reinvent that same game without making it modern. That's kind of the vibe I got about halfway through. Without getting too different from the source material. Um, which is, I think, it is quite a lot of pressure to work under because we know that next month the Dead Space remaster is going to come out. So um, it feels like uh, as if the big promise, or the implicit promise at least, was the Callista Protocol is kind of going to reinvigorate the genre of space horror. That's at least the promise that I felt was implicit in the announcements of the game and the trailers well especially at the game awards because this was this was the big thing i mean jeff Keeley made a whole joke about how it was just every uh i'm sorry not the game awards the um the summer game show um when it was just one announcement of a space horror game or a space game after the next and i i think that that was definitely the the idea or the intent behind this but then Richard, like you were saying, with the Dead Space remaster coming out, it kind of just makes me say, well, why shouldn't I just, why can't I just be playing <laughs> Dead Space right now? <laughs> yeah, and I just, I had a lot of issues with things like quick time events, and I just felt like, what year is it? Like, why am I mashing buttons all the time? And and it it is a totally reinvented, like, combat system, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little more in detail. But I didn't feel like it was more fun or more intuitive or more interesting than just shooting things with a laser. I, I'm over. I'm oversimplifying it, of course, but it would bring you into those sort of one-on-one -on -one fight, fight in like this a melee sort of arena, which I never really understood. I played like I played the game multiple times, but it never felt super flushed out or super interesting. And then the second you're fighting more than one enemy, it's like impossible to fight them, and it could have been fixed with some. And maybe it's because I'm a from software dork but you could have added lock-on or like even like a shuffle to the side kind of like a mortal shell has because you get in these very intense camera one-on-one -on -one scenarios but you just have to deal with it <laughs> you can't really like move or maneuver you're just like yeah well this is what i'm doing now and it, it felt like a really bloated almost like chore at a certain point getting into the melee combat when you could just stand far away and shoot at them it, which is, you know, in the Dead Space, Dead Space uh, history. I very much agree with you. But before we go into the combat, I would like to set the narrative stage a little bit, uh, just to give the framework, since we're, the game is set in 2030-20. 2320. 
That's correct. <laughs> 2030, I always, 20. <laughs> I, always, I always mess up the numbers that's, on that's the show. That's the second time you've why. done that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes place in 2320 on Callisto, which is an actually existing moon of the planet Jupiter. And uh, Jacob, the protagonist, he pilots a freight spaceship. And he basically he just lifted off of Black Iron Prison because apparently the Callisto, the moon, has been turned into a gigantic prison. However, his spaceship is ambushed and he crashes into Callisto, where, to his surprise, he is then arrested and processed as an inmate. And as soon as he ends up in a cell, at least that's what it feels like in the game, an outbreak starts. Um, space monster creatures, mutations appear, and uh, the entire uh, slashing and gore splatter begins. So it's a very quick <laughs> turnaround from uh, crashing on the planet and then suddenly everything escalates. But this is the kind of setup. And I think the general idea of this uh, of the space prison on, on Callisto, I, I found that a super interesting setting and an interesting atmospheric choice to make. That was certainly one of its strong points, I would say. I agree with that. I liked that it was, there was a lot of good background storytelling, like the, there's the UJC, which is this sort of, uh, it seems like an oppressive kind of government or even just corporation, cyberpunk kind of uh, thing that controls all of Jupiter's moons and all of the freight that goes between them. And so it definitely felt, uh, it, rem it reminded me kind of like of, of the movie Alien or Aliens in that sense, where there's just this big corporation that runs everything in space and it's kind of a no man's land out there. So I agree with you, Stefan. I like the setting. I think that you alluded to it. Uh, it really throws you in. It, it, it's breakneck at the beginning. The exposition to get you to the outbreak is kind of mile a minute to the point where I, I found myself thinking, I wonder if this was considered as you start in the prison and you unravel why you're there or why you shouldn't be there because it felt like it was very quick to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. And I think that makes sense, especially coming from, you know, people who worked on dead space because mm. making Isaac Clark an engineer, they kind of had a, a super easy way to shoehorn him into basically any situation. Like he's on a ship, he's on it, you know, he's doing this, he's fixing something. They really hit the nail on the head with sort of like the adaptability of that character. And now it can show up anywhere. So if you have to get back to that level, I think you have to do a breakneck. Like you can't make him like you can't give his whole like family dynamic and and make you fall in love with the character before the game starts because it's like maybe they're not used to doing that sort of things. Those those team members from from visceral visceral excuse me. Maybe they just have to get it get you going. Have to get you in the door and then be like good luck in there and then slam it shut behind you. Yeah, that's what also what I noticed. And I kind of feel very ambivalent about it because I do think that this setup of the the space prison is generally <laughs> super interesting. And I noticed they allude to such concepts like the panopticon, like the total surveillance prison. And uh, that's super interesting. However, it doesn't really play any real role. It's not of any primary significance. And one major drawback of making it so breakneck of just immediately saying you crash, you're an inmate now, and here's the outbreak. Uh, it kind of leaves a lot on the table, a lot to be desired when it comes to... Uh, I, I have never had the feeling of this prison was actually lived in, or there was actually stuff that happened here. I only see it once it was already past the outbreak. And I think in Dead Space that worked, because you came on the space station and you knew it was like... Uh, it had completely fallen apart, and you discovering traces of the catastrophe. But in Callisto Protocol, you're in the catastrophe, you're in the middle of the catastrophe. And that would have had, for my personal tastes at least, more weight if I would have had, let's say, knowledge of any kind of other inmate that might have been around, or if I would have understood the prison dynamics a little bit more. You're, you're thrown right into, you see everything in the aftermath when the outbreak has happened of this horrible virus. And I think that one of the strengths of the game that I that I appreciated that uh, I think when a certain thing happens is when I started to lose my personal investment. There's a character named Elias who is that character. He's a prisoner. He says he's been there for a long time. He knows everything inside and out. He's the one that's kind of guiding you through the prison. And I feel like they put all of the lived in-ness into that character. And I really liked him. 
So, uh, uh, you know, without getting too much into spoilers, when he is no longer around <laughs> in any capacity, I felt kind of lost. Yeah, I understand that. I, I think I just would have loved to have like a sequence. Let's see, it could be like almost a like a tutorial thing where you go into a prison canteen and you learn how to, I don't know, these simple things. You, you pick up a couple of items or something and you talk to a couple of inmates, just a little bit of, you know, setting the stage. Think of The Last of Us when you play as Sarah at the beginning of the game and you just learn the basic mechanics and you're getting accustomed to how peaceful things are and then you see like on the horizon there's this catastrophe coming along. I think that would have been something that I would have really liked in the Callisto Protocol. I think you can count all the NPCs in like one hand. Not, yeah. not to be a spoiler <laughs> or anything, but I, I understand it's a, it's a prison, so maybe they're locked up. I don't know what, what their excuse for that was. But once you kind of realize how empty it is, it's cool that it's in a prison. I think that's like a very interesting setting. But at a certain point, would it work? Would it, is it, does it have to be a prison? I guess is my point. Because with, with being so isolated, nothing makes it interesting that it's a prison. It could be anywhere. Anywhere that you're isolated would have fit just, just the same. Well, Stefan, to your point, because Richard, that's spot on, right? It, why is it in a prison? And there's, I would say, a, a loose reason based on who Jacob Lee, the main character, played by Josh uh, Dumel is. But do they even reference the word panopticon? I feel like they do at one point. Yeah, once. Mm -hmm. So they bring that up, like this, this uh, prison that is completely surveilled by the warden. And I thought that was going to go somewhere. And then the warden <laughs> just kind of went in a total different direction at the end of the game. So it does feel like, why couldn't this have been scientist man in a lab? It, it, it didn't need to be in a prison necessarily. What did you think, though, of Jacob Lee as a, as a character? Because uh, Isaac Clarke in Dead Space is, has, like, for the most part, been a quite faceless protagonist. He did get a face. Uh, and his face played a bit more of a role in the second game. He also often had his face destroyed. But uh, Jacob is a lot more front and center, I feel like. The cutscenes are more elaborate. You see his face almost constantly. He often like looks over the shoulder a little bit and glimpses almost in the direction of the camera. So he's a lot more present as um, a fleshed-out character. I think he was serviceable. <laughs> I think that it was... Uh... I don't know why you get Josh Dumel is a big actor. Like he's in all those Transformers movies. He's a good he's a good actor. And I just felt like um not only him, but Karen Fukuhara in the role of Danny Nakamura, I also felt like why I just never felt like they got enough to do. It it felt very straightforward. They were there to accomplish something almost like an Isaac Clarke who is this sort of especially in the first game, just a vessel for you. Um, it just seemed kind of strange to me that you would get these big name people <laughs> to, I mean, Karen Fukara is in the boys. She's a really, you know, great actress. And I just thought, um, Jacob Lee didn't, uh, I didn't feel as close to him as I did to Isaac, I guess I would say. I'm trying to remember anything about him. <laughs> <laughs> he's, kind of, he's kind of a rando, isn't he? He's, it always felt to me like he's, it's okay. Like he never, it's never intrusive. It's, I, I didn't think at any point oh, this is like a bad performance or this is over the top or something. It was always played straight, not too much humor, but also not too dark and grim. It kind of, everything kind of worked, but it also felt a little bit insignificant. I think we can all agree because I thought Elias stole the show. Yes. Um, I'm not familiar who the actor is, but he did great. That was such a cool character and he felt very real in, in his scenes. But I do remember one time very early in the game, Elias says something to him, and he says the F word. Um, I, I won't ruin your your young, innocent ears with, with such language, but uh, he says, what the F is going on? And then Jacob goes, yeah, what the heck's going on? And it's like, hmm, that's odd. That's like an odd back and forth where he, like, <laughs> changed the word. It was like, because I'm sure they recorded separately, but that was the only time it really felt like that. <laughs> where he was like, yeah, I don't know what the dang heck's happening. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. Different levels of... Of uh, urgency. Yeah. yeah. No, like, shucks. Well, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We don't know how bad it is yet or anything. Like, I don't know what it was, but it felt, it took me out and it was like a two second thing. It was like, oh, okay. And then you shift a guy. I don't remember, but. Yeah. I think you're right though. I think Elias did steal the show. And I remember there was, there was one 
exchange that I thought was uh, kind of nice and natural. And it was um, it was between Elias and Jacob. And the whole setup is that Elias is a prisoner who knows everything about the prison. Jacob is a pilot, and so they want to get they want to work together so that they can get off Callisto. And so they uh, start working. And at one point, Jacob is wondering clearly if he can trust Elias. And Elias says, um, you know, hey, I, I'm going to get you to this place so that we can continue our mission here. And Jacob says, why should I, why should I trust you? Like, why, why wouldn't you just turn on me? And Elias just goes, do you know another pilot? <laughs> and I thought that was a really nice reason for why they should trust each other because they're in this situation where what else are you going to do? You got to work together on this. So that felt real to me. And I like that aspect of it. It mostly felt real and organic, though it also plays it very safe. Like with the characters, the dynamics and the story development in general, I felt like they're often drawing from established tropes up until the very end. They are introducing more and more kind of like typical horror game tropes, which is fine. I mean, they don't have to revolutionize the genre, but considering the expertise that is at the team um, of Striking Distance, I think they could have done a little bit more if they wanted to really like propose the Callisto Protocol as something that reinvigorates the genre, then they need to also reinvigorate its narrative tropes in some way that differentiates itself from what has previously been put out there. I had a lot of issues with this sort of tropes, actually. Um, you are, the, it's, it's something that was very safe. It's something that definitely felt familiar. Um, but I do get a little bit annoyed with like evil for evil's sake. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I'm speaking specifically about like the warden. Or, or not the warden, excuse me, the um, the captain. I can't remember his name. Captain Ferris. Captain Ferris. And he really is just like, hi, I'm Captain Ferris. I'm the bad guy. And it, it really felt like right away, it was like, oh, okay. Like, and he would just, he was like so dramatic. And in like the very, very beginning, he's just like, oh, I don't know why we're taking you in. We'll get it all squared away. And then Jacob like just says immediately after, he's like, I don't know why this is happening. And Captain Ferris is like, you're in my world now, boy. And it's like, okay, what, what is happening? <laughs> like, why is You're this so happening? right. <laughs> that, that drove me crazy. Because again, to the, to the idea of sort of how do you, I think really where the Callisto Protocol falters for me is the setup. Because if this had been a case where Jacob was a prisoner and he had been there like Elias, and maybe they were friends for 20 years, who, who, you know, who knows? They, they know this place inside and out, and then they have to work together to get out of it. Then whenever, so Captain Ferris does this thing where when he shows up in the game, he refers to Jacob by his prisoner number and it's just not earned. It's just, it, 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 it implies a history that isn't there. And I think when you said evil for evil's sake, that's the nail on the head because it's exactly just, we need a bad guy here to have a final boss fight. <laughs> and that <Yeah>. felt very, <laughs> just by the numbers for me. Yeah, there's also no clear-cut motivation for why at the very beginning of the game already when Jacob arrives, he would be treated so poorly and with such uh, vitriol, uh, even though he hasn't even done anything <laughs> at this point. And, and the warden is just like um, straightforwardly sadistic, you could say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, I don't know. I think I, I totally agree. It's a, there's n the, the motivation for the antagonists is insufficiently fleshed out. It would have been better if they had an actual credible, believable motivation that brings you into a little bit more of a conflict. But that's maybe exactly what I meant, that they, they kind of just copy-paste tropes that have been widely established in the genre without doing anything interesting with them. It's just asking you to rely on your knowledge of the tropes, which is something that always bothers me in not just horror games, but any, any story where it points to a character and, and says, this is the antagonist and you are the protagonist and you must fight the antagonist. If there's no uh, reason or background or anything like that, it just feels hollow to me. So that that was a big problem I had with this game. And when I make the Callisto Protocol 2, I don't think I'm going to follow in their footsteps. I think I'll do something much different. Um, <laughs> because I think when you have a character that you don't know, you have so much... There are so many opportunities to make you fall in love with them and get to know them. But even the entire journey with Jacob, you don't know anything about him. And then you learn nothing about him. And I think that is a safe bet, you know, with the tropes where you kind of have like this faceless protagonist, like you mentioned before with, with Isaac Clark. But what's the, why have a character at all if there's no 
reason like that you care about him, you know? Um, so I just felt like, like you were saying, Dan, like maybe he isn't in Maiden as you play the game, you learn more about his history or, or kind of why he's there. And it was like a misunderstanding, which is also a trope, right? But it makes you put the character in context as it goes on, as opposed to like, I don't know why I'm here. And then at the end, he's like, I don't know why I was here. And it's, you don't feel like there's any weight on it. And then it's like, they do flashbacks to when like Europa, which I believe is another moon. I'm not an <clears throat> astronomer. Um, <laughs> but I never felt like it mattered. It felt like he was just like the camera <laughs> a little bit. It's like, look at all this that's going on. My name's Jacob. And then it just never felt like it ever capped. Cause I don't know anything about that man. I played that game for like 20, 30 hours and I don't, I don't have anything, any idea who that is. Yeah. They made him a little bit, too interesting to for for the character to completely disappear in the background and they made him not interesting enough for me to actually care about his character and about his fate you either need to go isaac clark and have him in the first game be just a vessel for you where there's no input it's just what you have or you really flesh them out like in a, a silent hill game where you know who this character is you understand who they are and i say silent hill because this game reminded me a lot of uh, Downpour, the most recent up to now Silent Hill game set in a prison. There's a character who we know something about and uh, the the villain at the end is sort of a villain for villainy's sake. So there's a lot of, a lot of 2010s energy from this video game. May I share something that I found really cool before we go into the entire combat and the actual flow of gameplay because I think there's a lot to dissect there. But one thing where I found um, the Callisto protocol to uh, nail it quite well is in the domain of the way it implements the technology. It uses the technology of the PS5. I thought especially the lighting effects and the soundscape that it creates, like when you are going through one of the million corridors and you hear like the scraping of something behind the walls and some rumbling in the distance. To me, especially playing it with surround sound, it created a really amazing atmosphere that very much put me into the same kind of anxious state that Dead Space put me in when I played it first. I liked that uh, there were there were moments where so the the prisoners all have this item on the back of their neck called the core, which is how you determine how much health you currently have. It's sort of like Isaac's spine in the engineer suit, and uh, there's a mention that it kind of plays with your mind when you first get it installed and so something i really like because I, pl I played it with my headphones on was hearing little whispers going through your your headphones so that was there were a couple of moments where jacob was kind of being uh attacked by his past or memories or these little whispers that were saying his name and i thought that was really well done so i agree the soundscape was pretty cool i think like aesthetically it hit the nail on the head like i think it is it is beautiful it is very interesting um, but then I don't know if it's always filled, unfortunately, <laughs> like you walk into a room and you see like all this cool scenery and, and sort of the environment. And then you just kind of like, all right, well, moving on. And then you just got to move on to the next room. <laughs> I don't feel like it, it always carries over, but it, it looks beautiful and it feels very cool. That's, that's sort of my, my experience with it. Maybe that was one of the main parts that helped me maintain my enjoyment of the game throughout, uh, because they really they, they throw you into all kinds of different set pieces which in itself i think is quite a feat to accomplish considering that we're talking about a space prison where it would be very easy to copy and paste corridors after corridors and make it very samey it partially is that but they really i think do very well in making the individual areas that you progress through feel quite distinct you've got these prison modules that you go through with the cells you got like grimy slimy disgusting sewers you got a greenhouse unit you walk on the surface for a short amount of time and all of these areas they have kind of their own uh, creepy vibe to it they all they all feel very distinct and that's to me it felt a little bit like going on one of these um one of these theme park rides where you go through just like different uh different <laughs> sceneries you know and you can just like enjoy almost like the creepy beauty of it i will say that i I liked uh, when you're on the surface of the moon, that was my favorite part of the game. And it's because I don't even know if this was meant to happen or if this was a a, a visual glitch or something. So maybe, maybe you two can shore up my experience here. But 
when you're, there's a moment when you're on the moon and you're walking through a huge snowstorm. So you can't see in front of you. You just see lights that are set up um, ahead of you. And there's a moment where uh, the only time I got kind of unsettled was I saw a figure in the, in the distance kind of moving a little bit. And that turned out to be an enemy. But I think, <clears throat> I don't know if it was an artifact or something <laughs> of this enemy not showing up on time. But there was just one moment where I was looking, you know, attentively at the snowstorm to see if I could see anything. And a, a figure kind of popped in and out <laughs> very briefly. And that was the only time where I went, ooh, spooky. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember seeing that, but that sounds very cool. <laughs> well, the thing is that when it comes to how scary is the Callisto Protocol, then I would say it really depends on what we define as scary because it's not scary because uh, the encounters are very predictable. Um, the times that you're being attacked by some kind of larvae creature that jumps out of a shelf is just used at nauseam. And it's always the same, and it's never really threatening. It's just something where you need to hammer the button to get rid of it, and you just jolly move on with your life. I think all of these jumps, all of the jump scares that they use, almost all of them failed for me, um, just because they were so aggressive. Uh, but the atmosphere in itself, like this kind of feeling of I'm trapped in this collapsed prison, or I'm going through this area where a horrible incident has taken place and I need to find my way out. Everything could collapse at any second. This kind of feeling of spookiness, maybe. Maybe spookiness more than scary. That worked very well for me. The, the, the sense of urgency as you get into yeah. like this, this flesh pit that you have to like work your way through or some collapsing building. I, I definitely felt that. That was very cool. And I, I guess I didn't go into this with too many expectations. Um, but just my memory of Dead Space. And I remember that Dead Space scared me because the setup of the, um, I think the ship, is the ship called the Ishimura? Um, yeah. It's, so the setup of that is that you're coming to it after something horrible has happened. So you're, you're always on the lookout for something and you're piecing things together. That, to me, defined that as a horror game. Whereas with Callisto Protocol, because you're there when it's happening, it feels much more like a, a, an action-adventure game. And uh, that's why I think they relied really heavily on jump scares. You mentioned the larva jumping out at you. That happens way too frequently. The only time I think that I, I felt that spooky atmosphere that you're discussing is about halfway into the game, you go into an underground colony. And that, to me, was very mysterious. And everything had happened so long ago, you were kind of putting everything together. That, to me, was... Uh, where I felt that atmosphere very heavily. I, I thought that was very cool, um, but I feel I did feel like I was sort of just thrust there, and everyone knew what was going on, but I I sure didn't. Me, the player, <laughs> um, and maybe I don't think this is spoilers or anything, but you get to an abandoned settlement at one point, and the your companion knows everything about it, and then Jacob also knows everything about it, which is very odd. There's a very strange like exchange where um, I, I believe her name is Danny, if I'm remembering correctly. She says, oh, this is the the abandoned colony. And then Jacob's like, oh, the one the prison was built over? And it's like, I didn't know that. Where did you where did you learn that? I didn't know. I had no idea this happened. <laughs> like, so everyone's like, ah, yes, of course, the hidden colony. And then they just they go through it. And it's just like, okay, this felt very cool, but I didn't I didn't feel like anyone was holding my hand through it as I needed them to, to, to feel like I'm also a part of this adventure. Or maybe a possibility to introduce it in a more smooth way would have been to mention it beforehand, before going to that place that there is this old colony and that it has kind of a role to play so that you kind of have it on the horizon already. Like this is something that is going to come in. And then when you reach it, then that can effectively trigger some kind of, uh, yeah, spooky atmosphere or amplify it because you know, oh, this is the place that everyone talked about, uh, you know, and I'm there now and anything might happen. I'm surprised. That's such a good point because I'm surprised that either A, the warden in his uh, hologram messages to you didn't say black iron prison built on the the shattered remains of the arcus colony you know he, it, or if elias had said oh i thought that there was a way out through the old colony but i never got there right <laughs> just something like that to kind of set it up I, I i i definitely agree i feel like that was missing well shall we take a brief break before we then dissect the combat and the moment-to-moment -moment flow of gameplay let's do it 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we're back with our review on the Callisto Protocol. So far, we fleshed out that we've got quite something to criticize about the way that this game implements tropes, but really doesn't go anywhere interesting with it. We also pointed out that it is fairly atmospheric, but still leaves quite some things on the table. And now we want to turn our attention to the actual combat and the moment-to-moment gameplay. Because, Richard, you already said <laughs> that the Callista <laughs> Protocol, it does make some interesting and very strange decisions in the implementation of its moment-to-moment combat. I did ac- accidentally get a little ahead of myself <laughs> in the <laughs> intro and just do my whole, my whole spiel. Um, but I do stand by it. It feels very... Cool. It feels like they're trying to do a lot, but I just don't feel like it's always implemented in the most convenient or like the smoothest way. First of all, to just kind of talk about what's available, right? You have the melee combat, which is, I think, uh, it's interesting where you you get kind of a, a riot baton and you're uh, attacking these enemies and you can open them up to weak points so that you can quickly shoot those weak points, which I found a very cool concept. I like that idea a lot, where it rewards you switching quickly between melee and uh, shooting combat. But um, there's there's a couple of different guns that are all... Uh, they all feel pretty distinct. I would say the two kind of... The magnum and the pistol feel very similar to me, but otherwise there's a shotgun, there's an assault rifle. Um, so that... That aspect of it is nice and simple. I think where it falls down is that I I don't know. Maybe you'll agree with me on this, both of you. It felt like there were two competing visions for how the combat was supposed to work. And they just kind of, they ended it at a point where no one really came out on top. Because there's a lot of enemies all at once, but there's no way to quickly switch between them. And... I think that that may have been an attempt to keep the survival horror aspect of being overwhelmed. But to me, it just got frustrating after a certain point because it's kind of grasping at more complexity, but it doesn't give you the tools to do it correctly. And that that felt like I was more frustrated than anything going through the combat most of the time. I 100% agree. As soon as uh, more than one enemy uh, lunges at you, and Richard, you said this already at the beginning, as soon as more than one enemy happens to come at you, it's over. 
basically. You can't really effectively defend yourself. It's just a matter of pure luck whether you're going to make it out of that situation or whether you coincidentally have a couple of shotgun shells that you can just blast into them. Because the the melee combat, I think, is, is very... It's strange. At the very beginning, when you get that Ryan baton, that riot baton, it gives you this this in a tutorial where it says you can dodge by pressing the stick left or right but the timing doesn't matter and you always have to switch between left and right you can never dodge in the same direction twice and to me that felt kind of like why would you take like dodge the only interesting thing about dodging is the timing <laughs> by, taking, <laughs> by taking that out of it it's like i, I was literally i was in fights where it was just like, I'm just going to melee them because I don't I don't have enough ammo or don't want to waste my ammo on them. And it's just endlessly switching the stick left and right, left and right, and then punch, punch, punch. And that way you never get hit unless there's more than one enemy on screen. It was totally weird, I think. I definitely agree with feeling like it was two visions coming together because I feel like the shooting aspect is like a solid enough third-person shooter. It, it might not be like immaculate or super interesting, but it's like solid enough. And the combat is, it's a little odd, but it, it's relatively tight. Like, it works. It might need some tweaks to perfect it. But putting them together really takes away from both of them. Like, it it makes the, the melee combat a little less interesting. It makes the shooting a little less interesting because you have to get up close and personal. And I think it would really benefit breaking up those, like, group fights. Because I think there would be something sort of beautiful with like getting in this one-on-one -on -one combat. And I know it's kind of cheesy and video gamey, but everyone's just kind of waiting their turn. Because I think there's like this cool moment where you beat the enemy and you're like, oh, did it. And then you like, the camera like shifts to this other guy. And you're like, all right, let's do it again. And then <laughs> I think there's like this cool intensity there. Um, not very survival horror-y, but it's a, it's a good way to like keep that combat feeling interesting without being locked into this fight and then having one person just shove you or hit you and then it's like okay cool i guess i'm just taking damage now and i have to just deal with this i i need to compare this because i felt it crying out at several points in the game to the early resident evil games or even the remake of two and three where i'm not talking about you know uh, biohazard and village because those are much more fast-paced but the original resident evil games that they made you conserve ammunition because ammunition was effective, right? There's, the, there's a balance that you have to hit there where I often found myself in Callisto Protocol saving ammo, but then feeling betrayed because when I would use it, it would do just as much or even less than the melee attack. And so I think it's, it's trying to uh, incentivize you to learn the switch up of hitting somebody, opening up their weak point, and then shooting them once, which does work fairly well, but it's so inconsistent that it just, it never got there for me, and I found myself being really uh, displeased <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> I think it here applies the same kind of criticism that we've remarked on when we spoke about the narrative and the character development already, because... There would have been two ways to go. Either when it comes to the melee combat, you go in the direction of more complexity and you allow players to have more freedom to dodge around and to maybe improvise with, I don't know, like a, a light and a heavy attack and, and such things, um, which is all there, but it's kind of like very pre-scripted and you can only use it in exactly the right points. Or you go in a more simplistic direction, which I might have even preferred, where it's like no riot baton at all, all you have is maybe the ability to use your gravitational glove, which we can mention in just a second, to briefly push enemies back, like almost like a burst forward, where you can push several enemies a couple of steps back, and then it needs to recharge for a minute or something. So you can just push them back, and then you can continue and shoot them to get them off your back. So I think there would have been many ways to uh, like fix or to improve upon this uh, clash of combat concepts well on the topic of the glove i i found that the most fun i had in the game was using that and i i felt like it was uh maybe underutilized i always tried to put um because you can upgrade all of your weapons i always tried to put the the few credits that i would find in the game into uh into the glove and making it better because it's it, you basically have jedi powers <laughs> you can uh <laughs> 
direct you can uh kind of gravitationally pull people to you and then throw them away and the most fun i had in the game was when there were um environmental obstacles that you could throw them into or throw them off of there's one particular uh fight that i i actually enjoyed quite a bit up until the boss portion of it where you're on a moving tram and a bunch of enemies are crawling over the side and you can just pick them up and throw them off as the tram is moving. And I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, so I think that the glove was a great idea. The glove is actually a direct carryover from Dead Space as well. Um, and I think that's one of the best uh, choices that they made to keep that kind of mechanic in. Because yeah, you, it's super satisfying. You, you have like these very conveniently placed open like traps, death traps. <laughs> Shredder machines, like saw machines, yeah. <laughs> Why ever you would want in such a facility a gigantic rolls with spikes that just shred everything. But yeah. throwing enemies, I remember there's a sequence that was already trailered beforehand, so I guess it doesn't harm spoiling it, where you can grab uh, these disgusting mutant creatures and you can throw them into these waltzes and then they get like grinded to pieces and then they get splattered all over the place. And of course, that feels incredibly satisfying because it's just such a nice way. They, are, they will overpower you any other way, but there you can just pick them up and... Whoosh. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, very, that was fun. That was very satisfying. <laughs> Boss fights, on the other hand, are terrible in this game. I, I haven't... Stefan, so, they're so dumb. It's actually, it actually impressed me. It impressed Stefan, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you... I don't often do this, but I'm going to correct you. You said boss fights, plural. There is boss fight in this game. Okay. The that one happens boss many fight times. That happens yeah, many times. True. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to lean in and correct there. I was like, well, it's actually the same boss, but you, yeah. you already got there. Because <laughs> I, I, I know what part you're talking about with the, with the tram and then the boss enemy drops. And I did think that fight was pretty, it was kind of fun. It wasn't The first great. time you see it. Yeah. But then he just started showing up and I was like, okay, like, because... Another thing that this game does not have going for it is diversity in its like enemy types and it it becomes glaring the longer it goes like you're seeing the same enemies and it just it becomes so like it's a just a formula like you you beat this enemy you beat this enemy oh there's an enemy you can't see until it gets close you beat that enemy you fight the same boss again and then you just move on and there's no nothing really mixes it up I don't even think of any like I can't even think of any like interesting ones that like stood out to me because they all were just just gun fodder, I suppose. Yeah, the, inc including the boss fights, because to round off that point, the reason why the boss fights us, in my opinion, so dumb is because uh, they literally are just a gigantic globby monster that you need to just, uh, you know, shoot all your ammo into while always, you know, you run five steps, then you turn around, then shoot, 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 and then you run five steps. And you always <laughs> run around, every single boss fight for me was always running around like a large crate or something. <laughs> it felt a little bit like a playground thing, where it's like, you know, catch me if you can. And it, it always made the situation feel kind of silly and underwhelming. Though, I must say in its defense, there's something that I realized that helped me a little bit in these moments, and I just want to for anyone out there who might still want to play the game uh, after we completely destroyed it in our review. <laughs> uh, so if you shoot the boss a sufficient amount of times, then the boss will just collapse and briefly like kneel down. And then you can go in and put in some melee uh, hits. And if you do that, the boss gets finished off a lot faster uh, than if you just keep shooting uh, shotgun shells into it. And I think that's that's the perfect... Uh, round off to the point about the melee too is that again it seems <laughs> literally oh now i'm starting to think it's smart and how foolish <laughs> it is. um it's it's two visions coming together because that boss is called what like two head or something two face <laughs> something two like face. that yeah um and it's just it's it 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 is uh genuinely a monster out of the thing uh remake from 2011 so again we're keeping up with that aesthetic of 2008 to 2012 uh but it just felt like, as you mentioned, Stefan, it, it rewards you for shooting and then doing melee and then shooting again. But it's not clever. It's just shoot it until you can melee it and then shoot it again until you can melee it. There's no, even even like a, I don't know, a weak point or if you could lure it into something like the, the spiky walls. You know, if it was, uh, if you're 
if your baton was powerful enough to knock it back into it, maybe you could play around with that, but it's just uh, lose all your ammo in it and then beat it up. Well, one part about the combat that I found, though, quite nice is the possibility of enemies mutating by tentacles spawning out of them. This is basically uh, like a similar system to Dead Space, because in Dead Space, the idea was always dismemberment. You need to cut off the enemy limbs, and then they will change their behavior until you cut the rest of them off and then ultimately kill them. In the Callista Protocol, it's more like if you injure an enemy to a certain degree, then tentacles will like just burst out of their chest, and then you've got a short time window to finish them off. Otherwise, they will mutate into a stronger enemy and then attack you even ferocious, even more ferociously. And I think that's a really cool system because it always put this sense of urgency into combat. I've injured that enemy, I see the tentacles, and it's like, oh no, I need to finish that guy off before while keeping the others at bay. I found that a very smart system. It's, it's also a really cool, because um, I agree, I think that that's a great idea. And it's a good evolution of, again, the Resident Evil trope of you need to burn the zombie so that it doesn't come back as a redhead and be, you know, as a, as, or a crimson head, <laughs> redhead, like a red-haired girl. You don't want it to come back as a crimson head zombie because it's stronger. So you have to, once you knock down a zombie, you burn it and then that one's done for the game. So I like that uh, it kind of made that a real-time concern where you had to clock how many of the monsters were starting to mutate. That added a bit of urgency and anxiety that I didn't find elsewhere in the game. And and I think there, the game is a little, uh, I don't know if the word is cheeky, but it if you shoot the enemy's arms off, much like Dead Space, the enemy dies. But they never say that. They never like come out and just outright say it like the way Dead Space did. So if you're in melee and you knock off both of their arms, they'll just die, even if they like, blow up their head and they still have their arms. And it's like, I get it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a little Easter egg just for me that only I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, like what, what can they do when they don't have any arms anymore? They're like the yeah, Black like, Knights, you know? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Spit in your face and blind you. <laughs> I think that'd be too depressing if you just knocked out the limbs off, they just sat there, and then you see them you again, and you're up. like, I'm sorry, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Let's call it a draw. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one enemy type that also stood out to me was the, I'm going to just call them the clickers, because <laughs> they, they do try to introduce a, a variety of enemies, but they are, as we've already established, they're copy and pasted enemies, very much trope. Uh, they're not copy and pasted, but they are tropes, video game tropes and archetypes that are just uh, implemented pretty much exactly in the same way, like it works in other games. So there's an enemy that looks, it, it looks cool, it looks disgusting, it looks frightening in your flashlight but it reacts only to sound. And if you crouch, it won't hear you. And you can just very slowly go to every single one and stab them in the back. Surprisingly, no other enemy around hears the death screams of the one that you're killing. And so it just slows you down. It just takes a lot of time. And that, I felt, was like, that was really annoying since they throw so many of them at you. You know, I, that was genuinely the worst time I had in this game were those sequences. And I'm going to, it's funny because the more, the more frustrated I get with a game, the more I turn to uh, game studies terminology stuff on. So uh, I felt quite a bit of, of ludonarrative dissonance playing this game because when uh, Stefan mentioned that you can stab enemies from behind and you can kill them. But the problem is they're massive mutants that you need to be very forceful in killing. So Jacob will stab them, but it's not like, <laughs> You know, it's not like Assassin's Creed where you just kind of quietly kill somebody. You are violently stabbing them multiple times with them screaming. And there will be one, there will be another of these clicker enemies two inches away from you. And it's basically saying like, oh, that must have been the wind. <laughs> <laughs> and and Jacob is not quiet either. Because so you, no. so you, the character, are yelling. The enemy is yelling. And this other guy's just like, meh, I don't know. What's going on over here? And then it's like, Mosey's off. I mean, I'm glad that they did that because otherwise it would have been endlessly frustrating to go through these sequences. Or, and this is again, one of these situations, they could have they could have gone more complex with this by saying, maybe we should implement a proper stealth system so that uh, you can actually hide behind stuff or something, which actually doesn't work in the game because as soon as... <laughs> You know, as soon as they've seen you or heard you, they're going to follow you everywhere, even if you start crouching later on. Uh, and I think that's just a bit of a shame. There would have been 
quite a chance of developing this this enemy variety further of taking every single enemy and putting them in a little bit more interesting settings, playing into their strengths and into the variety. Well, and what's so strange, because you mentioned the stealth, the stealth aspect, they have a setup for that at the beginning when there are these security droids that are patrolling the prison. And before you get a gun, you're completely outclassed by them. And even when you have one, if they notice you, they're going to kill you basically in one hit. So there's a point early on where you do have to crouch and stay away from this robot. So there was setup for it, and then they they turn you into this clicker uh, scenario, and it's just yeah, just go behind them one by one and stab them all. You'll you'll be just fine. I uh, I was not super excited about that part because I w- I'm not really into stealth games. Um, I've only played The Last of Us once. I didn't play it every time it gets remade, but I just. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool, fungus enemy. I get it. We all get it, right? They come out of the wall, out of a wall of fungus, and then you stab them. I get, we, we've all, but we we get it. Um, but and then I did that that little area, and it's only like a couple of rooms. And then I just moved on. I was like, was that it? Was that the whole? There, it didn't come back again. There, it wasn't like a an important part of the game going forward. It was this little blurb, and then it's just like, all right, back to hitting and shooting. And I just felt like. <laughs> It was it was barely even it was like a mini game a little bit where it's like sneak up and hit triangle and then move on and I just felt very I was already getting a little frustrated with the game but at that point I was just like are you kidding like I like this is such is such a, a goof thing to do I don't know yeah. I had the exact reaction Richard where I was as you say you're already frustrated and then that happened and I think that kind of put me over the edge a little bit. I'm worrying right now that I might have missed something. Have you ever tried in these areas where clicker enemies, I'm just going to call them that, where they are around, to pick an, up an object and throw it into a different direction and they would like run there? Oh, no, that, because no. it, no, I mean, it doesn't work because okay. it doesn't uh, work. <laughs> because again, the, the idea of the, um, the noise triggering the, them auto tracking you. So, you have to remain crouching, and as soon as you do anything other than stab them in the back, one of them is going to notice you, and then the rest of them will notice you. That's such a shame, because they have the system of the gravitational glove where you can pick up objects, and it would have made the sequences already a bit more interesting if you could have just pulled objects near you and just thrown them in down the corridors, and then they would all be like running past you. You know That would have already made for a cool sequence or two. I, I tried that because I had that thought. Oh, clearly, I, it's the perfect setup, right? I have this <laughs> gravi- gravity glove. Let me, you know, <laughs> like Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets, throw something over here and get their attention and then run around. And yeah, it, it in that sequence in particular, you mentioned the wall spikes. There's a bunch of those spikes all over the place. But I quickly found out in trying to quietly, you know, impale people on those spikes (laughs) that doesn't work so clearly that's meant for if you get caught and you have to engage in combat then you can use them so it's again two two visions coming together and not working out and not to fix the game too much but wouldn't it be interesting if you could push a clicker enemy onto those spikes and then it yells and then they get brought to the that enemy that's in peril and you could sneak off like that would be a cool little like workaround use it as bait I don't think it was even considered, like on the cutting room floor. I don't think that was even brought up. It was just, I love The Last of Us, let's stab him. And maybe I'm being hypercritical. Maybe that's not fair. But that brings us to a larger point about the game, which is just missed opportunity and half-thought ideas. Uh, it Because I agree, that would have been great. And it, you have the frustrating thing to me is that when you have a game where it presents you with all of these tools, and it presents you with all these scenarios, but then it doesn't do any of them and it doesn't even allow you to try to do them that's where i get frustrated i don't mind walking simulators i don't mind games that are set up to have you play it a certain way i mean i'm i'm playing through crisis core reunion right now that is you have a sword and magic that's all you have you know it it keeps you very within a corridor of uh capability but the callisto protocol has the illusion of fun gameplay all over the place and all of these kind of ideas that are thrown in could be fleshed out in a really interesting way but they never are and that's when i start to get uh, kind of upset with a game 
when I, I say to myself, it seems like you wanted me to do this. Why aren't you letting me do it? It leaves a lot on the table indeed. Yeah, a lot to be desired. I must say that one positive point that I still wanted to mention uh, before we go in the direction of uh, rounding off our review is that I actually enjoyed the walking, the walking speed. I knew you would yeah. say this. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is that so many games suffer from environments being too big and the character being too fast. Uh, so that it always feels like, why, why would a character constantly run around? And I'm longing for more like realistic walking speed in video games or walking pace. Callisto Protocol does this quite well, I think. Like Jacob is very authentically slow in his spacesuit. And he's not like a super agile dude that jumps around the rooms or something. He's pretty like, you know, you can feel the weight of his suit and everything and the equipment that he's carrying at every step. I, that doesn't mean I necessarily like the fact that it constantly makes you crawl and squeeze through tight spots. <laughs> because that's, uh, that is something that in general I don't mind, but it's used very extensively in the game. Like every two minutes you have to squeeze through something. But the general pace of exploration i enjoy that very much as soon as i was walking around i i genuinely thought to myself oh stefan loves this yes <laughs> <laughs> what's the over under i would say a solid 30 percent of this game is shimmying through walls <laughs> yes yeah. i think the game is cinematic to a fault i think mm. it tries to be such such an experience, but all it does is it interrupts gameplay and it interrupts moving because it is fun. It's kind of fun to move around, like like Stefan was saying. Like the speed is very good, the environment's very good, but then it like puts you in these scenarios where you're in like shimming through a wall or you're crawling through a vent, and there's like a little cutscene to turn the corner, and it's like, why couldn't I just turn the corner? Like at what point is that uh, being the control being taken away, and then? Um, we, we touched on it earlier, but those bugs that lunge, there's these bugs that lunge out at you and you just tap triangle and they aren't even, they're just a hindrance. They're not anything. They're just like, they're almost a jump scare almost. But after the first couple, you think to yourself, oh, this again. And there's these enemies that will grab you and you just have to tap triangle or tap the button to let, have them let it go. And I just felt like, why interrupt your game with so much stuff that isn't fun and isn't gameplay? And I just would I just don't understand that mentality. I totally agree. And I think that for me, my my round out for it would be uh I think I, I grew to resent it as I kept playing through it. And the reason for that was I think that I slowly realized that this was not any kind of evolution from Dead Space. And that bummed me out because Dead Space is such a good game and full of so many great ideas. And the worst thing I can say about the Callisto Protocol is also the best, which is it reminded me of playing a game in 2010. And it's 2022. <laughs> and I think that with so many other horror games that are so much more effective, so many other action games that are so much more driven, um, maybe this is the curse of having just come off God of War Ragnarok. I, I don't know. But uh, this is something that I felt was half-baked out of uh, from a different era in a bad way that took no lessons from the things that may not have worked from its predecessor and just compounded and compounded to a point where I felt I had no connection to it. I was frustrated more often than not. And I just uh, wish that the, the setting and the panopticon idea that you mentioned Stefan had been the focus because that I thought was going to be, and then it just was not. I see it in a bit more of a positive light as in it is redundant in many ways, but it's still, a good space horror game, like if you are into space horror stuff and uh, grinding creatures in gigantic spiked walls or something, then uh, this, is totally, uh, this is totally a fun game to play. Uh, one thing that makes me hopeful about it is that it appears like the devs are really listening to some player feedback and they've already implemented some quick fixes to issues that were criticized. For example... In reviews that were released previously, you would often hear that a problem is that the weapon switching takes too long, and they fixed that a little bit. They made the animation a little bit faster so that you can get through it. So clearly they're paying attention to what people are saying. They won't overhaul the entire game, of course, but that makes me a little bit optimistic that at least the small aspects um, will be fixed. And one thing that makes me really 
scared for the future of this game is the fact that we do have, in addition to the full price $70, we have, uh, I think, almost $30 season pass uh, that's already up that you can already purchase. And we've got clear indications that they are going to focus a lot on online stuff. And I just can't see how this would really work well. I don't quite understand why they are doing this. Because if there are any lessons to be taken from Dead Space, then it's not on, don't do the online stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that really didn't work with Dead yeah. Space, right? Turning Dead Space into our major franchise that's going to be like a multimedia thing, that's going to be this big AAA video game that everyone's supposed to buy. That was part of the reason what made it fall apart. And I, I just wish that the Callisto Protocol would learn from that a little bit more and would say, let's focus on this niche. There is a market for space horror games, for gory space horror games. Let's tap into that. Yeah, we did a whole plus episode about why that making it a AAA big cinematic blockbuster really kneecapped Dead Space. And I just already see them doing that with the Callisto Protocol. So yeah, I agree, Stefan. I, I appreciate that your, your thoughts are a little more positive than mine too, because I think... Uh, I don't know. I I'll, I know I'm going to play it at least one more time. Uh, so maybe I'll I'll try to look at it from a different angle. I'm just glad all three of us got the season pass already, so we can <laughs> all talk about it again later. <laughs> all three. <laughs> well, thank you so very much for listening to our review of the Callisto Protocol. Please share your thoughts on the matter by going to studyingpixels.com slash contact or joining our Discord server, which we have just recently invigorated. Uh, you can find the link to the Discord server directly on our website. There's a little Discord icon that you can click on. Next week, we're going to do our Christmas special where Dan and me evaluate the 10 predictions that we made about 2022. And we evaluate them and we make the next 10 predictions for 2023. It's sure to be an exciting episode, so stick around for that and see you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.